welcome back to Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Madison Ford. I hope that you've all been well. We've been hard at work behind the scenes here lately, and I have a bit of an exciting announcement. Uh, Beyond the Veil is going to be hosting a trivia night next Monday on May 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll be hosting it over uh, Google Meet online. And if you would like to join us, you can check out our social media profiles. Spots are limited, so make sure to sign up soon if you'd like to join. On today's episode, we're sharing my interview with Manveer, who talked to us about his mental health journey with anxiety, depression, chronic health issues, and how the Potter series was an escape when he needed it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's dive in. Hi everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Veil. Today on the podcast, we have Manveer. Manveer, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Let's get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Manveer. I live in London, England, and um, I am an actor by profession and filmmaker. Uh, I also am a freelance graphic designer and um, I am very much have been part of that, what they call the Potter generation. So I kind of grew up with it when things were happening at the, uh, you know, in, in real time. So yeah, that was an honor, you know, to be able to, to be able to call myself part of that. Absolutely. That, that's myself as well. And it, it does feel sort of, you know, like a, <laughs> this really wonderful <laughs> thing to have grown up with Harry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah, it's uh, you kind of went through a lot of the different stages of life when he did, really. So, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was you could relate to that. You know, you could relate to a lot of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know what sort of Potter information you'd like to share about yourself. Right. Well, um, I did do some of the uh, the Potter more kind of, you know, sorting and different things. So I know that I am a Gryffindor mm -hmm. and my uh, Patronus is a Basset Hound. Um, I also, I'm not, uh, I think my wand, I believe is a, a U nine inches. And I am also, well, my favorite uh, film in the series, I have to say is probably the very first Philosopher's Stone, which is what actually got me in, in funnily enough, it actually got me into Harry Potter. So I wasn't uh, I knew of it before that, but I wasn't quite into it when I saw the first film, went to see the first film for my cousin's birthday in was it oh one, I believe. Um, I yeah, decided let's go and read this. When I read it and saw how different the book was to the film, I thought and then I just got hooked from there and started I think I read the first three in the, like two days, I think, or three days, <laughs> something like that. I just flew through them. Yeah. And uh, wow. I believe Goblet of Fire, I can't remember, had it been out for a short, either it had been out or was coming out. I can't remember at that time. So then obviously I was anticipating the release of, sort of every book after that then. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, I, actually a funny story about... Um, Order of the Phoenix. I remember because it got to the point where my brother and I, my older brother and I, couldn't. We, we had to order every, every book. Then we had to order two copies because neither of us was going to let the other one read it first. 
<laughs> so we both had to, so we couldn't wait for one to finish and then the other take it so we both did it at the same I had to order two coffees <laughs> and um I for order of the phoenix I remember we were going to a friend's wedding and I got that was the day that order of the phoenix was being delivered to people's houses and I remember being in my sort of wedding attire sitting there started reading it before we were leaving the house <laughs> Like sitting lying on the bed in my suit and shirt and tie and just started reading. <laughs> so that that is I love that story because I feel like that is so true to so many experiences. I know like that I've had with the Potter books. Yeah. Where I got Goblet of Fire on uh it was New Year's Eve, you know, a long time oh, ago. Yeah. And, you know, we were supposed to be going out, we were visiting family, and it was like, Okay, get in the car, we're gonna go sledding. <laughs> but I, you know, nose stuck in the book just everywhere we went. So <laughs> that's, that, that's. <laughs> that, I mean, this is, yeah, this is the one, I, I mean, I'd never experienced that before where I actually had that sort of reaction to a book. And it kind of, it got me into reading. I mean, it really did mm -hmm. get me into reading a lot more. And yeah, that, that was a very, very unexpected reaction. That's so interesting. I'm. I'm curious, how did you come across the movie for the first time? Uh, well, it was my cousin's, uh, that would be his, what, 13th birthday. Um, yeah, he decided that that was what we were going to go do. And obviously because, I mean, I whatever he was going to do, I was going to go. So that's what I did. I went, We went and saw that at the cinema. And yeah, and then from, and I literally knew very little about it at that point. And then from there, yeah, that was it. The rest is history, as they say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, so it, it's interesting how that time period is so many of us were learning about the Potter series for the first time. It's that chain reaction of somebody, you know, wants to go see the movie or they tell you to read the book and yeah. it's, you know, just astronomically quick, uh, just so quick how everybody all of a sudden was reading these books and learning about these stories. Yes, no, absolutely. And then it just, and then the interesting thing now is that, as you know, we who are the Potter generation, a lot of our sort of peers of having children and then just it's being passed on as well. So it's, it's one of those things that will genuinely live forever because it's so entrenched in so many of our hearts, really. Yeah. So, which is nice. It's, that's how the legacy will, will be uh, immortal, really. I totally agree. And it's giving me a lot of happy, uh, happy Potter nostalgia from those early days right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I remember the one of my, I guess, a lifeline at that time, you could call it was definitely MuggleNet. Like I used to mm. be on there, like, I don't know how many times a day, just looking for any new, any of the because I remember their newsfeed used to be obviously, you know, very up to date. And I used to just be looking for any information about any like book or film or anything that I could find to just keep it almost like a drug, really, but obviously a good one, you know, <laughs> right. it was a good, it was a good one. And, um, but yeah, I got super obsessive, I have to say. Yeah. My, uh, for many, many years then. Absolutely. I was there alongside you. Um, <laughs> so to kind of get into your story, um, I'm yeah. curious to know what your life was like before you encountered the Harry Potter series. Well, I mean, so I, I was around 13 as well when I first encountered it, right? And um, I before that, 
I don't think I had any, I had nothing like this, like no hobby, no nothing that was a go-to thing for me to deal with a lot of the sort of problems I was having. You know, I was, I was, um, I mean, at 13 months old, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes and I was mm -hmm. the very first in my family. So I finally didn't really even know what diabetes was until that happened. Uh, it was just, I guess I was, uh, I was hit by lightning and just very unfortunate really. And, um, mm -hmm. So that happened at that young an age. Um, I struggled with going through schooling because of firstly just adjusting to going to school because of the attachment I had to my mum. And um, then so I went to a few different schools as a result of that and then bullying that happened at most of the schools I went to. And um, I think I went to how many? About five different schools and over my wow. sort of schooling life and I was bullied at all but one of them and unfortunately the one I wasn't was the very first and I was only there for a short period before I then moved on to the next one and that's when it all the bullying started mm -hmm. and there was a lot going on at home as well you know with a very you know my parents had a very dysfunctional marriage um my dad was very kind of controlling and uh it was a very hostile environment and toxic environment to be in. And my mum was kind of always on the verge of a, you know, nervous breakdown. And she had a lot to contend with, with all of that. Her in-laws living with her as well, as which is quite common in the Indian culture. And, uh, you know, a sick, sick child as well. So, you know, I don't know how she quite coped with it. So whatever I was going through, she was going through a lot worse. So, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And, um I, before I discovered the Potter series, I was, I think there was a lot of manifestation of my dad in me, to be honest. I was very bold and very, in many ways, overconfident and very brash and kind of out there, hyperactive. And I think a lot of it was just learned behavior and which I look back, I can see that now, obviously not at the time, but I can see looking back and through all the kind of work I've done on myself. Um, so whenever I was bullied, I wasn't, I didn't just take it. Like I would be the smallest guy in the class, but I would fight guys like twice my size, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. that, yeah, that's kind of how I was. And, um, so, and I had a very forceful family as well behind me who were kind of had that fight instinct within them. And, um, so it was encouraged, I guess, you know, to fight back. And, um, the bullying went on even past the, time I kind of discovered Harry Potter but yeah the, that was kind of how things were going before I discovered it I'm I wonder as you know that feeling you know kind of being aggressive was a part of it I'm curious what kind of your mental health response to all of this was I think at the time I didn't see it as having, I didn't really think I had any issues in that sense when it came to mental health. Like mental health wasn't a thing. It's not, I mean, for me, it wasn't within my scope or radar to even look at that, I guess. And mm -hmm. it was only after the age of 16 when I uh, suffered a, um, basically when your sugar level drops really low with or drops low with diabetes, it's called a hypo or hypoglycemic attack. And mm -hmm. I had a severe one at 16 on the worst in the worst place on a uh, a long distance train in India 
so no. yeah i know it's just sod's law that's one of the worst that was the worst i'd ever had in up to that point and it was had to be in one of the worst places as well and mm. i ended up needing to have this injection that revised me before i go into a coma like i could have gone into a coma eventually and so since then that's when the panic attacks started and they were horrendous like i was just terrified to leave the house or do my injections then again and it really blew open some sort of window for a lot of the stuff a lot of the anxiety and things that i'd you know been rep uh, holding back or repressing for so many years because there were a lot of different even situations i saw in terms of domestic abuse and other things that i actually was present at i saw my like with my own eyes mm -hmm. and you know at the time they were you know they were anxious moments but i would always end up pushing them down you know like a lot of it all a lot of it was just pushing everything down and in the especially in the indian culture you are encouraged to you know to do that you know everything that happens you just kind of quash it and you don't you know mental health isn't really something that is like it's there's just no focus on it even to this day there are a lot of people who still think you know going to therapy in in this culture who think going to therapy is for crazy people you know mm. and that's still a very backward you know kind of thinking it's slowly changing especially with sort of the, this next generation but you know that is going to take time the one before it a lot of people had that same attitude so yeah so then the anxiety attacks happened and i went to lots of different therapists and no one could help me like it was a real struggle to try and get i went to cbt therapy a lot and no one was i was just beyond what anyone could do mm. and i at the age of then 19 i ended up because things didn't i i was someone who always had this long term i always had a 10-year plan like which is probably rare for you know even a kid but i always had a 10-year plan of what i was going to do where i was going to go and you know where i wanted to be at certain points in my life and at 19 basically the, my a-levels didn't quite go the way that i'd hoped and from that point that plus another incident that happened with the school I was at, um, with the actual heads, like it was a bit of a hostile situation. Um, that's when I had a mental breakdown sort of soon after that. And the depression started from that point onwards. And then that mm. has just been a serious up and down battle since for the last, what, 13 years. Yeah. Yeah, with, I've been doing intensive therapy for the last eight and mm. i still do it now once a week it's kind of my my uh, you know go-to thing but things are a lot better than they were but i still have my kind of ups and downs i'm curious to know what with kind of the weight of the stigma against going and getting mental health help what why do you think you were able to go and try out cbt um well, this was still when you were a teenager uh yeah i was nine uh, i was 16 when they started um wanting to take me to sort out the issues then surrounding mm -hmm. my diabetes because i was so afraid you know after that incident um they were trying and i was keeping my readings sugar readings a lot higher than was healthy like a lot higher mm -hmm. and um as a result of it you know being scared of it even going into the normal sort of good range and mm -hmm. so that's why through my diabetes team at the hospital they were the ones who were trying to help push it and push me through so I didn't have to be even on the waiting list here 
because in London, you know, through our National Health Service, you end up being on a waiting list for a long time because of the numbers yeah. of people who need the help, which is, I know, slightly different in the States. But yeah, so yeah, that's why they kind of fast tracked me through. And what they offer here is um, they normally give you six sessions or sort of once a week, and then, then they'll reassess you and look at if they'll offer you, say, another six after that. And mm-hmm. um, so that's once a week, so that's 12 sessions over 12 weeks. I went to five different therapists and did six of those 12-week blocks. Uh-huh. And none of them were able to help me. Like, it was just uh-huh. beyond any of them. And, yeah, so that was why. And interestingly, my family are very much about trying to do what they think is right to just to get things done in the sense that they were very pushing on it then as well, like my parents like mm-hmm. anything that needed them doing to try and help or fix health in a different way. They were very, very pushing. But unfortunately, it was kind of, again, what they thought was right. So say if I thought something else might be better off for me, it was kind of their way had to be done, if you see what I'm saying. So and because I was very much, you know, still reliant on them in various ways, um, emotionally, financially, you know, li- still living with them, it all just I ended up having to kind of obey a lot of what they wanted because I was forced to yeah and I didn't want to I really didn't want to go to therapy I didn't at all and but I didn't really have a choice so mm-hmm. well, it's it's very interesting how um when mental health starts to affect our physical health a lot of yeah. times it's that's when it's seen as something you know legitimate that needs to be done yes um absolutely no I think for them again it was more I completely agree with you, but it's a case, and a lot of people, like you say, do, because mental health problems are, are unseen, you know, they're not, mm-hmm. take, like me, I, no one would know I have diabetes if you look at me, and, you know, it's an unseen illness, but, um, and I, at the end of the day, mental health issues are an illness, I consider them, I consider them that, like, they're just as, you know, in fact, full as any physical illness, if not more so in many cases, you know, so you yeah and it does actually as you say impact the physical health so much that yeah it just it genuinely needs to be taken more seriously and given a lot more weight absolutely listening to you talk about all of this it's um it sounds like it was it wasn't up until you were 16 that the and correct me if i'm wrong but around 16 is when the mental health issues started to become like you weren't able to really push them down anymore no that was when the severe anxiety attack started yeah and then literally about two three years later then was when the depression kicked in and so I was almost kind of reliving a lot of what I'd been through but feeling it if you see what I mean Mm -hmm. like before it was all being flashback in an emotional yeah and in just in terms of what the body was doing as well like it's this is going to be kind of the area that's a little bit maybe tricky to understand but for those of who know about it they'll understand it's um the therapy i've been doing for eight years is um it's called somatic experiencing like, i don't oh. know if you've have you heard about that or i don't know yes yeah we had an episode with a someone who practices that so funnily so. enough yeah that saved my life um had it not been and that was interestingly my mum happened to find it because there was a show on um, where people were sort of overspending like crazy and it always came down to a certain issue 
in their life was the reason for that manifestation. And there would be there was a therapist on there who would always kind of get to the end bottom of it by the end of the show. So my mom happened to look him up and he was a somatic experiencing therapist. And so she kind of encouraged me to to look into that. And this is uh, actually yeah, this is interesting. There was a moment where because I was still fighting a lot of what they wanted me to do. So I didn't want to do it. But then again, they were forcing you. So I just said to my mom, well, look, I'm going to go. I was very stubborn. I said, I'm going to go there and I'm just going to say I'm being forced to be here. I don't want to be here. And, you know, I'm just going to do go because you're forcing me to go. But then something happened on the train when I was going. I don't know what it was, but something clicked where I thought, oh, I kind of have to do this for mum, you know, like I do. And as in, because I still have a very close, I had a very close bond with my mum. I still have a close, very close bond with my mum and that I, I thought I got to do it for her, you know, to not see her suffering as a result of my suffering or if anything mm -hmm. happens to me. And I guess I went there and I ended up just going with it in the end rather than doing that that's a lovely little metaphor it's a just a connection to the potter series the train is this kind of passageway to change yeah um, yeah unfortunately there wasn't there wasn't a little old lady with a sweet trolley unfortunately <laughs> but uh, that would have been nice but uh, yes. you know meet my future best friend and brother-in-law <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that would have been nice but uh, <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> that's oh wouldn't we all like that yeah that <laughs> it's just such a oh it's a, it's a lovely story that isn't it yeah we wish those kind of what's the word those sort of hollywoodized uh, things that happen in a way you know would happen to us sometimes <laughs> mm -hmm. it's always much quieter the way that things happen to us in real life unless of course you know we all have those very you know um serendipitous experiences every once in a while but yes um, so I'm curious to know kind of looking at how the Harry Potter series weaves into your story um right well over well since because the the bullying was kind of one of the most rife things from sort of you know always and I yeah. and then again like I said there was a lot going on at home the ups and downs of kind of having a very turbulent home life and um it was very much became my escape because it became my obsession and I would just read and reread the books. Um, I started doing my own kind of, I don't really draw, but I started doing my own kind of Potter art stuff and uh, they're very primitive drawings. Like I look back on them now and I think, wow, yeah, those were done by like a 13 year old or 14 year old. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, which actually the idea I've got of those is I'm going to probably get them printed onto a t-shirt actually just because they are part of my potter history oh and, that's yeah. lovely yeah I've had an idea to do that but um yeah so I even uh, oh this is brilliant I remember at the time my cousin and I decided because he was in that cousin who you know who whose birthday it was where we went to see the film um he was became sort of quite a big fan as well so we became kind of you know potter buddies in that way and I think I was more so than him but you know, but uh, we decided to write our own fan fiction. So mm. I I remember writing the, we both decided on two different topics and uh, took one each. So I ended up writing about the, you know, the birth of Hogwarts, like with the founders actually setting Hogwarts up. And he wrote about the Marauders. So, yeah, that was That's another, lovely. Yeah, that was another thing we did. So I was thinking about all the different aspects that we know from the books and trying to figure out you know 
who built what and how and why and <laughs> you know and how it all happened yeah, yeah. that's I'm just thinking about what a how good and wonderful it is to have something that brings you such joy when you are going through so many difficult things in the rest of your life definitely it was most definitely a lifeline and um yeah i'm just very very thankful that i found it that, even at that time it would have been nice to obviously find it earlier but had i found it i mean the fact that i found it at that time was still amazing yeah and i'm glad it was quite still early on in the journey definitely well, it it sets the stage and i'm i'm curious how uh how do you think the potter series kind of as you were growing up how did it help you or sort of do you think it changed the way that you dealt with these things like from before the time you were reading it to afterward I don't no I don't think it did actually but I think what it did was it just gave me it just gave me an escape I think that was the key mm -hmm. thing like it was there were a lot of elements to the story that I think even thinking about it you know now that probably also because I they were very pure things and things that I also lacked within my own life, which I think then resonated with me so much because they were mm -hmm. things that I think I wanted but didn't or couldn't have because of my situation. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, things like, um, let me think, I had a, hmm, what were the things? I mean, the fact that there was no kind of technology in there was a nice thing because I feel yes technology is useful but it's also impacted people's mental health in certain ways you know mm -hmm. especially things like social media and yeah. it was just a simpler world as well you know as in in the books and you know the way just people lived um it obviously life was made easier by magic as well which is something we'd all love you know to have uh, if we could like even just doing the dishes, you know, would be <laughs> just things like yes. that. The, the basic household chores and stuff, you know. And um, there were obviously, you know, the fact that I had this illness and there were magical cures for things, you know, at this magical hospital. That was uh, another thing that very much resonated. Um, I think the other fact that there's so much, you know, when you read it, you kind of, I myself, I pictured it as a very kind of, everything was very Dickensian. And mm -hmm. obviously in the films, they were stylized like that then as well, but that came later. Um, I think I'm because I feel like I'm very much um, kind of maybe a bit of a cliche, but I feel like a bit of an old soul, like in a sort of modern or younger body and from mm -hmm. way, way back. And um, I very much resonate with things like that. You know, those that kind of old, if I go to a castle, like just to visit, you know, somewhere touristy, I just feel an energy like this is kind of where I should be. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that kind of those kind of images that I got when reading the books very much resonated with me. And um just things like friendship as well and loyalty, you know, these were all things that I really didn't have and would have liked. And yeah, just seeing that there are these people who, you know, were together and went through every, like the thick and thin of all of it, you know, without faltering that it's just a very pure thing, isn't it really? Yeah. So yeah, yeah there are a few aspects of it that definitely, I think that I'd never actually thought about these until I think they were there subconsciously, but then obviously when I realized I was going to be having this discussion, I thought I actually had to think about it and kind of put it down on paper, which was kind of an interesting and even therapeutic thing to do.
in itself. It's putting a putting a name to something, and um, it's a it's a conversation I had with my therapist this week actually, where you look at kind of when you finally do look back at something and you realize the way that it's played into your life, it's, it's interesting how these really, these forces of positivity and, um, you know, things that help us are really doing these, uh, you know, uh, really providing support really kind of underneath the surface in ways we don't realize until we really sit down to think about it. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. Um, that is, most definitely the case and yeah like you say you just I wasn't aware of this until as in obviously I knew things were happening at that time but I didn't know what was happening until much later on you know it's just very interesting how how you're oblivious to those subconscious things in the moment for sure it's yeah it's a very fascinating fascinating concept (laughs) absolutely um, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention one other, a couple of other things. I, because don't forget. Oh, yeah, the, um, when I was talking about the, you know, the different aspects, there was also the, you know, the happy family life as well. Like, for example, that like the Weasleys had, and um, mm. just the things like the, um, that they were having a happy school life as well. You know, these were all things that I did not have, and I think what was very interesting about the, the family side was that I. Although those times, I mean, when I look back on those times now, there are quite a few aspects of those times that I think are still better for me then than they are now. And like, for example, back then, it used to be very much that my family and I, it used to be because I have two older siblings, uh, a sister and a brother who are eight and nine years older than me. Mm -hmm. And so it used to be us, my mum, kind of as a unit and then against my dad. And then and as time, you know, as time went on now, and as we've gotten older, and things have kind of come out more for all of us, and we've, you know, um, gone to therapy and all sorts, we're very fragmented. You know, our relationships are very different, and none of us kind of really get along. And it's most people get along with my mum, but otherwise, we all have, have very strained relationships. Mm-hmm. So, just that that togetherness was something that also I think got me through. You know, back then, and I do miss that just having that that element of it yeah yeah which is kind of sordid but you know it's <laughs> yeah that's it's really tough and I oh it, it just that really it sucks and it's one of those things where um it's really only time that can like move us forward to see what happens next with those kinds of uh, the ways that things, you know, they feel like they break and they come back together and um, break and come back together. And I, I hope that that, I hope that there's some kind of mending that can happen for y'all in the future. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, I, the fact that my parents, I mean, they recently celebrated their, what, 45th wedding anniversary. Wow. And yeah. And I really don't know how, but uh, they, yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, like, looking back, I kind of, do you think it might have been better had they gotten divorced because there would have been less collateral damage I think but as opposed to living in an unhappy and kind of crazy home because my dad did used to drink as well and he wasn't necessarily an alcoholic but he was a very aggressive drunk Mm. and um yeah and it's just interesting to see how things have changed and developed now and because he obviously can't push us around like he used to and um 
yeah, it's a very, I think we almost kind of grew up in a mafia family kind of dynamic, you know, that was how it was. Mm-hmm. And you kind of do whatever you like to each other, but you know, you don't let the outside world do anything. You know, yeah. that's, that's how it was. And um, yeah, it's a very, very complicated kind of spider's web. Yes. I, I hear you there. I understand that feeling. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what the future is going to hold, but um, we just have to wait and see. Yeah. It's a very yeah. kind of very murky unknown. Definitely. And can always hold out for a little bit more magic and however it comes to us. Absolutely. I mean, I, it's, it's just interesting how I've had to, how I've changed as a person, as a result of all of this, uh, as in of the therapy I've done. And in many ways, that's kind of made me the black sheep of my family because Mm -hmm. um, I've done all this work. And I kind of also now look from outside the box in when everyone else is looking from in to out. And it does, in many ways, it kind of does ostracize you because you are different. You're looking at things differently. You're trying to react to things differently, but you've still got these people who are still either in denial or got lots of, you know, they're not quite at the same point in the journey as you are. And that's a very tough place to be as well. It's even more lonely, actually. Yes. You've, in some ways you've described kind of the idea behind the name of this podcast where, you know, once you have looked beyond the veil, it's, it, everything is different. You can't go back. You can't go back. Absolutely. And, uh, that's, yeah, it's a tough road, um, to be on. And, uh, I can, obviously I can understand why I've seen it with a lot of people, not just my family, but a lot of people I know who need to go to counseling or therapy, but are just too afraid to because it is a case of once you open up that can of worms you're never going to close it again Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yeah yeah, I kind of obviously mine was more of a you know having to uh, taking that can and rolling down a hill with it but uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um, I'm just in a way I mean now the way I look at it is that the pain and hell I've been through even through since having these you know, that incident at 16 and the breakdown at 19, it was, yes, it was hell, but it was also very much an awakening because I don't think I would have gone, had a lot of the experiences I had. I wouldn't be in a creative field as I am now. I mean, I was heading for the stock exchange. That was my plan from when I was like 11, (laughs) Um, which is weird. I know for an 11 year old, but yeah, I was, but I think I was chasing somebody else's hopes and dreams for me, you know, not my necessarily my own. Mm-hmm. and so but then yeah that as time went on and I realized that wasn't going to happen that's what that what was so difficult at 19 actually because I that dream went out the window and you know when you've had that dream for about 10 years it's difficult to let go um and I yeah so then going this all happened by accident where I was really hardly going anywhere had nothing sort of socially my sister was the one who encouraged me to to find some uh an acting workshop because I used to do a lot when I was at primary school and I used to get quite a few of the lead parts um and yeah it all just went from there it was started as a hobby and then just got more and more serious I got bit by the bug and in fact oh yeah I um I actually tried to get into the Deathly Hallows films (laughs) oh wow (laughs) yeah and the funny thing about that was I just remembered I um I actually wrote to the casting director myself and I got a letter back from her with a Harry Potter letterhead 
So I've still got that in my file and always will just saying, oh. yeah, it's amazing. And it's saying um, that Fiona Weir, she seems like a lovely lady. She um, wrote back saying, listen, it's, you know, thanks so much for your letter. And I really appreciate your enthusiasm for the series, but unfortunately it's a bit late for being able to cast anybody in it. And I had a feeling that was the case, but she goes, but you know, I wish you all the best. And that meant a lot, mm-hmm. you know, seeing that. And uh, I know some friends who actually worked on the films as well in different capacities. Oh. Um, some of them were extras. Some of them, one of them actually did um, one of the main goblin prosthetics. Um, yeah. So I have a bit of a connection there from from that. That's so lovely to have that kind of uh even though it's the movie, it feels like a connection to the real wizarding world in some way. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting, actually. I'm one of those who's probably a little different from other Potter fans in that I'm not so keen on the films, purely because, yeah, it's good that you can. there's some visualisation on the screen, but because I'm such a hardcore fan, it's, it's for me, they're just the adaptations aren't what I wanted them to be. You know, like I, I, want, I want them to be a lot true, almost like the Lord of the Rings were. They were very true to the books. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted. Like I yeah. agree. And so that's why Philosopher's Stone, for me, that and Chamber of Secrets had the magic for me, you know, but they and they still were they deviated from the books, but they were still closer than any of the others for me. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I like those. I felt like they just got more and more further well, they just went further and further from the books as time went on. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. That's why I guess I I think, I mean, Philosopher's Stone, I watched it so many times, I can actually now, just without even realising it, I can say it, like the lines, before they do. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, uh, it's, yeah, I've actually done it, and I got told to shut up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> struggles so, of being such an intense Harry Potter fan. <laughs> oh, God, I mean, I've debated still getting a tattoo, actually. I'm not, yeah, it's it's still on my mind. Um, oh. About whether I would or not, I don't know. Um but I mean, as an adult, a lot of my connection was that because I became a graphic designer only a few years ago, I started doing my own sort of personal Potter designs as well. Oh, and wow. I've made a few T-shirts as a result for myself, you know, um, with those designs on them. I um, love that. That's what a wonderful outlet for like your creative energy and for something that you love. That's I love that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And the funny thing is, I actually struggle when it comes to designing something because it's like, you know, when you've just got so much you can do that you just kind of think, all right, what do I, what do I do? You know, where do I start? Right. So, yeah, I kind of have that issue, but I do try to do what I can when I get the inspiration for something on there. Yeah. You were just talking about um, when you were, you know, when you were 19, kind of that uh, being in the stock market um, yeah. or that, that kind of fell through. And that was around the time where you mentioned that you had an emotional breakdown. Um, well, that was kind of everything kind of happened at once, which is what caused the emotional breakdown, really. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I because the A levels didn't go the way I wanted, and then I didn't end up going to the you know the college I wanted and do the you know the course I wanted. Um, everything just all my plans kind of fell apart there, and that was kind of like I was thinking, well, that's kind of my you know the last hurrah for me at school. You know, considering I've had such hell, I always thought that you know I would get those things almost and show those bullies, you know, that I can, what I can do. And, you know, it'd be like kind of their way of getting back at them in a way. And then when that also fell apart, I was distraught, 
yeah mm -hmm. and uh ended up yeah just going in i mean it took a few years then for me to get to my absolute lowest point um but then yeah it was things were pretty dangerous for my health as well physically because of the diabetes as well because i just mm -hmm. let it go and yeah so people were kind of very concerned there was a point where they staged an intervention and um yeah i mean it's been kind of a, a very up and down cycle yeah and since then you said you've been in pretty intensive therapy yes somatic experiencing sorry we did touch on that didn't we um it was um basically the, yeah so should i explain a bit about it or is, was that covered in the in that podcast that you mentioned yeah, tell us tell us about your experience with it well i mean the the key sort of concept of it is that you know animals in the wild where based on where they are in the food chain you know they they could be under risk or they would be under threat you know from predator and so their nervous systems are naturally built to discharge that fearful energy quite quickly you know that the whole fight or flight concept mm -hmm. and we as humans aren't so a lot of the trauma that we face whatever it may be will build up and clog up in our system and that's what can then cause things like manifestations like addictions of different sorts or um cause you know mental health issues then like panic attacks or breakdowns or depression and all sorts they're all manifestations or results of trauma and somatic experiencing basically uses a bunch of different sort of tools to try to essentially get that energy that negative or toxic kind of energy out of you that has been built up through trauma and so that's what i've been doing i mean i've had serious physical reactions to therapy sessions where you know it's been various things like i've had random twitches i've you know even been sick i've had severe sort of abdominal pains like a lot of mm -hmm. these things, I have no control over how that energy then does what it does. But it's so it's almost like having a different person inside me. And that's what I say about the experiencing the emotions from that were blocked now, because it's almost like that me from back then is currently within me. So it mm -hmm. will react to things that aren't even there sometimes. But it is that's why I say about it living in a different time. So it's like the young me basically living within me. Yeah. And and almost like it's like PTSD, really, in many ways. You know, those people who go to war and come back and they have those sort of severe issues. It's the same sort of concept. Yeah, definitely. That's um, the way that those things are stored in our bodies. It's it's so strange to when you finally have an experience like that, where you do unlock some of that, you know, past emotion and energy, it's, yeah. it's it can be startling. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. It's, I mean, I've ended up in the emergency room with abdominal pains mm -hmm. because they were so bad. Um, and yeah, there've been lots of different things like that that have happened over the years, which have, even to this day, like I still, sometimes if I'm going to be doing something, say, just anything where I kind of open myself up or put myself out there in certain cases, I sometimes have just had to go and be sick before I can then go and do it. And mm -hmm. even though, because I'm not consciously thinking about it, but then the subconscious reacts that way. So that's something I don't then have the control over. And then usually once I've done that, I'm able to kind of get on with things, but I feel pretty ill before that happens. Yeah. 
so yeah these are kind of the um that's the kind of the basic kind of rundown of it but it's what i've done for eight years and uh learn more and more about myself and just listening to my body as well you know more as well knowing like before i would try to push through and force myself to do things sometimes and now as i've tried to give myself more value because i you know, i haven't valued myself much and i still struggle with that over the years you know it's trying to giving myself more value and actually even just being able to do things like say no you know or and not people please or um and actually just looking out for what I feel I need at a certain point in time, which mm. I would definitely not be doing before. You know, that's all the result of this therapy that I've done. And it truly saved my life. I don't think I would be here talking to you today had I not found that therapy. As mental health and therapy become less stigmatized, I hope, you know, that it can be a, the, the variety of needs that people have starts to be catered to um, as more people are able to go into the field and seek out help. I think it's a, I hope at least it will be a natural consequence of the stigma kind of lessening. You know, what actually frightens me now though, like looking at it is at this point, I feel like mental health and has become actually the awareness, awareness has really increased, but the whole self-help thing and, you know, things like meditation and mindfulness and, you know, all of these different tools you can use with regards to mental health, they've become very, and even just people, doing for example like you know like this podcast or people doing sort of videos on youtube about it there's so many especially young people doing it it's become very mainstream and i think that in itself is not a good thing that that has become the case if you see what i mean not that they're doing it it's great that they're doing it to help as many people as they can but the fact that it is a thing which wasn't around say 15 years ago you know or mm -hmm. 10 years ago even when even when the internet was around it wasn't this big and I think it's because more and more people are suffering from issues as time has gone on that this has been created. And essentially, this is trying to rectify the damage rather than look at the reasons why people suffer from their issues in the first place. Mm, yeah, the you more, yeah, the more that maybe we wouldn't be, it wouldn't be so mainstream if there weren't so many people in so much pain. Absolutely. And there are, I mean, there are definitely aspects of society, I think, that have contributed to that as time has, you know, gone on over the last 10 to 15 years, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And again, those are just things that would need to be addressed, but they need to be addressed on such a wide scale that, I mean, to be honest, I think now what's happened with this whole, you know, the current pandemic like, around the world, I have a feeling that is really going to change a lot of people's views and perspectives and hopefully for the better and just change the social dynamics of the world, you know, in yeah. a positive way. And because look at now, people are being forced to spend more time with their families. They're being forced to slow down because life is just so fast around us all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're being forced to actually, you know, stop and look around, if you will, and actually think about, you know, looking at ourselves in the mirror as well, like a lot of people. And and just even reconnecting with people say that you a friend of mine was telling me that she's reconnected with so much family that she's not spoken to in ages you know just things like that these it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic for that to happen but you know it's made it, i think it has made a difference already yeah well it's interesting it's hard to find a, a positive when you know anything positive when this is going on in the world but Absolutely. i do 
I, I feel that same way that you do where I know a lot of people who've had to really slow down and look at what they're doing with their lives. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I keep my fingers crossed that this will be a catalyst for people to um, find out what wasn't working before and try yeah. and make something better happen. Absolutely. I completely agree. Cause a lot of, unfortunately, you know, a lot of what people are realizing I've known for many years as a result of the therapy I've done, but I was fortunate to be in that position to then have that transformation. So mm -hmm. otherwise I think I would, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of the world out there is a rat race or it'd become a rat race, you know, and if you're part of it, you don't necessarily even realize, I think you're part of it as well. You're just kind of on that autopilot. And so that's why when we say about people being forced to actually slow down and, you know, look is, it is definitely a positive. Yeah. In looking kind of at your experience with the Potter series, we've talked yeah. a little bit about how you engaged with it, but I, I'm curious to know, you know, how all you were like working or, you know, connecting with the Potter series and the Potter fandom. Oh yeah. I mean, I did do, I did enter some different trivia quizzes as well. Like not just online, like in-person ones. Mm -hmm. um, that was something I did over the years because I had just, so much knowledge of uh, the series you know like just random trivia that uh, I thought you know I've got to put it to use um, I did buy this big quiz book which I used to then compete against all other friends who were fans and stuff and I would get pretty competitive on that <laughs> um, what else um, I think what I was going to actually, in fact, I believe what we, just to elaborate on something, the the fan fiction that we wrote, we were actually going to send that to J.K. Rowling. Oh. I remember, <laughs> yeah, like just as kids, and I'd looking back, I thought that was funny, but yeah, we were going to send it to her just to see if we ever if we got any reaction or response, you know. And I don't think we ever did, but um, but yeah, <laughs> I just remembered that that we were going to do that at some point. Um, That's. <laughs> The mind of a kid, huh? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, how else did I engage with the series? Obviously, I used to buy various different merchandise as well, you know, just bits mm -hmm. and pieces. And and to be honest, as I've gotten older, I've still, because now there's, you know, because they know that that generation is older, they do do sort of more adult-related stuff now. And so I've even bought stuff even as an adult, you know, things like different character ones and clothing and... Um, and the other big thing was that I, um, a few years back, uh, there's a, a, a store here. There's a, you know, in, in King's Cross Station in London, there's a, a Harry Potter shop called Platform Nine and Three Quarters. And I ended up working there for a few months um, just because of my love of the series. And that was only about three years ago, four years ago. Wow. And that was interesting. Um, yeah, just to be surrounded by that world the music constantly playing the you know the merchandise and just other harry potter fans really you know yeah that's a total immersion it was um a pretty stressful one but uh, it was an immersion it was a very busy shop um oh. yeah you can imagine you know with this sort of bigger fandom um i believe when the uh you know the the nine the, the epilogue you know the 19 years later when it was in the timeline, you know, when it actually happened for real. I can't, I think it was uh, how many several thousand people had actually congregated at King's Cross outside the store 
to like wish uh, them well on their Hogwarts journey to uh, journey to Hogwarts, like the kids. Mm, yes. And, yeah, I know people who were working in the store at that point, and they actually had um, Warwick Davis came as well. Um, oh. you know, Professor Flitwick, and um, yeah, it was thousands of people were there. It was jam packed. I mean, I was quite grateful actually that I wasn't there, probably because it was just absolute pandemonium. And um, yeah, so it's um, it's quite a quite an experience to be at that store. Oh, I can imagine what a mix. It gives me warm, happy feelings thinking about. <laughs> And I need to, I mean, I, this was another funny thing. I, <laughs> I, they usually, cause they give you roughly about three hours to complete the whole tour. Um, mm -hmm. I took so long that I only got half of it done in that time. <laughs> oh no! So I'm going to have to go back and actually prop, and I had to kind of rush through the rest. So I'm going to have to go back and, um, uh, do the, yeah, do the other half properly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i did actually get an interview to work there but in the end i wasn't able to kind of take the job even if i got it so i wasn't i didn't end up attending but um yeah that was another thing that could have happened potentially had i had i gone and because i'd worked at the store it was probably likely i might have gotten gotten in mm -hmm. but uh the other cool thing there is actually because they have this whole wall of there's like a whole section of like you know olivander's shop in the studio tour and basically on every they've got a box for every person who worked on the series like a wand box for everyone oh wow and my friend who did the prosthetics actually has her own wand box yeah which oh, was quite wow. cool to see yeah and she in fact uh, i can probably say it now because it's been so long but she and obviously i don't know who she is but uh, she actually said to me one day i've got a gift for you and um because we used to do a quiz a pub quiz together and um so I went there and she basically gave me a, 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 a like a bomber jacket which has Harry Potter stunt crew on it. Oh. <laughs> so it's like a stunt, basically like the stunt crew would wear that jacket and from the films. And so she got me one. <laughs> and she actually took a piece off the um the Weasley's uh, wizard uh, Weasley's shop and gave me that. <laughs> So That's I've got amazing. a W. I've got a W from the shop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that! What, yeah, what tokens? <laughs> yeah, they're just they're really cool. <laughs> yeah, I had a prop guy, a friend of mine who does deals in movie props. He wanted to buy it from me. I said sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't let that go. <laughs> no, it's too important. <laughs> no, I just can't. Yeah, it's one of those things that you just. I've got. I've kept everything. You know, like absolutely everything I've had Potter related, I've kept. Mm -hmm. And recently, not long ago, I was crazy, but I spent a lot of money on. Um, do you remember the um, the special edition Harry Potters, the bit, the ones that were like big ones that had like gold writing on them and like J.K. Rowling signature kind of put into them, like in gold writing. Yeah. yeah a few years back, I bought the entire lot, like all seven. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and it cost me about five hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it and I've got it here <laughs> the things that we that we do for Harry Potter <laughs> I know it's just crazy I mean recently I just went and bought um Sirius's wand because I just, and, and it's just gonna I'm just gonna have it I can't do anything with it but I had to get it you know and there are a couple of others I want to get as well so I'm just going to be buying these you know when I get a chance 
I totally understand that. Every yeah. time I've been to the uh, Wizarding World, the temptation is there. <laughs> kind of stepping to the next part of our question. Sure. Um, it's another thing we've kind of touched on how it seems like the Potter series is there to give you, like you said, a lot of the stuff that you didn't really have, like, yeah. you know, like that, those the truly wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And so with those things and just kind of looking at that, do you think that that is part of the reason why the series was such a great escape for you? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Looking back, for sure. Yeah, I do think that those were, as we said subconsciously, they were definitely the elements that uh, that did that. There were, I mean, there were other elements as well, like things, for example, like um, you know, the whole message about kind of love being more powerful than hate, um, and the you know the whole good triumphing over evil, and um, the you know the the thing about you know, the ones that love us never, you know, truly leave us. Um, there are a lot of things that did resonate for me from experiences that I've had throughout my life. Yeah, that I can't necessarily, yeah, say that this specific incident did this, if you see what I mean. But there are, it's kind of encompassing of a few different things. And just things like, you know, that it's not, the other thing is that it's not our, um, you know, abilities that determine who we are, but it's actually our choices. You know, that was another thing that really resonated for me and still does to this day. And probably because also over time, you know, a lot of things that either I was forced to do or even then choices I made led me from bad to worse in many cases. So I think that's probably why that one really did kind of hit me quite a bit as I got older. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that I've lost obviously a few people as well, um, that, that, that message really did resonate about the, uh, you know, about the loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a, it feels very, um, what's the word, I guess almost whole, like your experience with the series, you've, you know, you have those like those happy moments in the series, those relationships, those values propping you up and yeah. then those lessons to really round it all out and tie it together. Um, is yes. there is there anything else you'd like to touch on with these things? Uh, I mean, one thing that truly, and I'd, I'll be honest with you, I still haven't forgiven J.K. Rowling to this day is uh, is Fred. Uh huh. I can't do it. Like I, I mean, I really, really struggled with that one. Um, mm-hmm. Like Dobby upset me quite a bit, and for some reason, Hedwig did as well, actually, um, mm-hmm. because it was just someone who was there from the very beginning, you know, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, especially the Fred thing really hit me hard, and I just didn't see that coming. And to be honest, I think a lot of characters did get off lightly, which I'm grateful for, like the main, a lot of the main characters. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they, you know, she had to pick him, you know, <laughs> it yeah. was, uh, it, it hurt. So many deep wounds in Deathly Hallows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, they're definitely <laughs> I don't really know what to say to that because there's, there's like with Deathly Hallows, there's so many ups and downs. Yeah. And just the, you know, the whole Harry going and visiting his parents' grave was a real moment as well, you know, because it was, it made things realer 
if you see what I'm saying. Yes. You know, because there wasn't really, yes, you'd heard about his parents, you knew things, but there wasn't something quite in front of you, you know. And, yeah, just seeing, like, because I remember in the books, actually, the because I, I believe they'd written out the what was on the gravestones as well, right? And um, if I remember correctly. And, um, yeah, that was just a really surreal kind of thing to read. Yeah, that's, I remember reading, I think in Half-Blood Prince, Harry mentions that it's something he wants to do. And I, I spent the time in between the books really thinking about what's, what's that going to look like? Because like you said, it made it feel more real. We hadn't really had this kind of connection with the wider wizarding world in the way that we get in Deathly Hallows before. Absolutely. Because yeah, it wasn't, I mean, what felt incredibly strange about it was that it wasn't set at Hogwarts, right? And Mm that was really strange like it felt like there was almost a disconnect because of that but you then obviously got immersed in what the story was but it wasn't quite the same as it was for the previous six books yeah and because it was like you say very real world different but not not bad maybe not bad no no, not bad just different yeah yeah maybe when I was younger there was like this you know almost this like wait this isn't at Hogwarts I want to be at Hogwarts I don't like this but uh, you know as you get older it becomes easier to see the uh, the poignancy of having it set outside of Hogwarts oh absolutely yeah no no I I do agree Um, yeah same thing here really at the time I was like yeah I want more Hogwarts but because uh, I think all of us as they say you know we all dreamt uh, you know we all wanted that letter at 11 so yes you know it's yeah and um wish I could have had that me too <laughs> but yeah they might just be late still we'll never know <laughs> maybe we could just be mature students I think you know that's yeah. there's, no, there's no problem with that no, <laughs> I like yeah. it. I still get mistaken for a student, so you know <laughs> I could probably get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Sneak in. Sneak in, yeah. Just uh, yeah, get rid of any technology because it wouldn't work there anyway, would it? So right. <laughs> yeah, I think I like that element that you know there isn't that. So that would be a nice thing, I think, because a lot of people do that nowadays, don't they? They do like a they cleanse uh, by you know cutting off from social media and and tech and things they do like and the funny thing is that that's a thing you know it's actually become a thing where it's you know it can be that toxic that people want to you know cleanse themselves and then come Mm -hmm. back yeah yeah so it'd be nice to you know I think that was another bit that's now looking back um as I got older that was a big part because I feel like people have become more more distant as a result of technology which is one of the reasons and and social media and that's one of the reasons why depression has been on mental health issues have been on the rise Mm-hmm. And because there has been more isolation and loneliness, which is ironic considering it's social media, right? Right. <laughs> um, and I mean, the way I describe it is, it'll you know, it keeps you in touch with somebody in Australia, or even like, look, we we've met, you know, through Instagram, right? And mm-hmm. but it'll alienate you from your neighbour, you know, like right. that's you know what I mean. So that's which one's better, or which one's better, you know, in the in the long run for people's health. And obviously there are perks, like now, the fact that we're talking is a very big positive from it, right? But there can be a lot of negatives from from yeah. it. So it's about kind of the trade-off. And I feel like it's impacted the way we as people are and the way people behave as well. Like it's, you know, a lot of people who 
do abusive things on social media wouldn't do that in person right and they wouldn't be able to get away with it in person as well but there aren't any laws governing what people do on there and i think there should be there should be because now you know people a lot of people interact more on there than they do outside in the real world so you know why aren't there those rules in place absolutely it has a really major impact on our well-being and it's important that people uh, don't use these platforms to you know bring others down because it's you know now it's just it's i'd say it's almost as impactful if not the same as you know receiving that kind of treatment in person Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there are wider impact, uh, like implications of it in terms of just the power that these things have. You know, like just look at political elections, like yeah. the amount of power that things like Facebook had, you know, in influencing the way things happened over the years. You know, mm-hmm. that's for one man to have that is dangerous. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and yeah, I mean, and one man who's got however many, is it like half a billion or is it, I can't remember how many follow, people are on Facebook, but to have that influence over the world is scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the elder wand of technology. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I've never thought of that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but Harry did snap that, so it would have been nice to, someone could snap social media sometimes, I think. <laughs> but, yes. uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think, yeah, that... Uh, I can't remember where the original point was because we've kind of gone on to a <laughs> complete sort of tangent here. But no, I, it's uh, the magic. There is a magic in social media, I guess, that we can all come together in a positive way through, you know, the podcast or through these um, channels where we can lift one, lift one another up instead yeah. of, you know, put each other down. To be honest, I think there's, I mean, that in a way is also a metaphor for magic. Like it can be used for good, but it can be used for evil as well. So yeah, yeah, kind of thinking about that, which is something that kind of just cropped up now when when you said that. I think you're absolutely right. It's uh, technology feels like magic sometimes since we're not always looking at exactly how it works and we we have to be responsible with it (laughs) absolutely it's with anything yeah at the end of the day you can have um i guess i'm going to be obviously phrasing a different franchise but you know with great power comes (laughs) great responsibility (laughs) (laughs) it's very true (laughs) (laughs) i know that's not a potterism but uh (laughs) Uh, we we love all fandoms here so (laughs) it's all fandoms yeah (laughs) yes we're all uh, we're all geeks in different uh, different ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, as we finish up here, Manvir, I want to know if you have any final words of wisdom or advice, or if there's anything else that you want to share with everyone listening. Well, the key is just to remember that although this can feel like an incredibly lonely illness you know having depression or anxiety every second person is with you you know and Mm -hmm. it may not necessarily feel like that because you're isolated or you're isolating yourself not because of the pandemic I mean you know because of your (laughs) (laughs) those words have been thrown around a lot isolation quarantine or you know (laughs) social distancing but um yeah so just remember that you're not alone and 
just do whatever it is you need to do for you, for your own well-being. You know, don't feel like you're being selfish if you have to look after yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever it is, whether it's the Potter series or something else, whatever brings you joy, do it. Yeah, you know, that's that's the key to it, because nothing else is worth it. You know, like if, right. you, if you don't have your health and well-being, you know, it's. Yeah. What, what can you do then? Yeah. And I also want to put it out there that if there is anyone who wanted to contact me just to talk, I would be more than welcome to for them to do that. You know, well, thank you for that. Yeah. We'll put up uh, a way to contact you maybe over Instagram or something Please. like that. If, that would be yeah. amazing. I would love it because I would be more than happy because I've been very fortunate and we have to spend a lot of money and I've been very fortunate to get the treatment that I've gotten up to this point where I'm at and I wish more people could but if I can pay it forward in any way I will Mm. well thank you and I think it's so important to connect with other people and sharing your story like this and um you know just any way that we can sort of build a bridge from one person to the next I think is very important and that's kind of what helps us get through these lonely feelings of mental illness or you know social isolation right now um yeah we can still we can still connect with each other oh absolutely i mean we're doing it from our you know our houses right now this podcast is amazing isn't it you know that we can do that and talk about something at such a such a deep level which is you know that's one of the good things that technology has brought and it is uh, a lovely thing to be able to do i think probably for both our you know both of us definitely um like one thing we've got to remember is you know we those of us who you know who do suffer from these you know different mental health issues just potter itself the potter fandom is a massive brother and sisterhood you know like so Mm -hmm. none of us are really alone in that sense because all of us have been touched in different ways by harry and co so you know we are all linked in that way even if we've never met because think about it, as soon as you meet a fellow, uh, I call it, I say potheads, <laughs> <laughs> but if you meet a fellow pothead, then you just connect like we've done yeah. now. We've never, this is the first time we're speaking mm-hmm. and look at how we've connected just on our passion and love for something so great. It's like knowing a whole different, a whole secret language with somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Oh. Manveer, thank you so much for that. And thank you for sharing so much of your story. And I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. And um, I'm happy to share it with the world. I think, you know, I think that there'll be a lot of people who get something out of this. And I really can't thank you enough. No, I really appreciate the opportunity to have the platform to actually share what, you know, all of this. And I've really enjoyed talking to you too. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to today's interview. Manveer, thank you so much for sharing your story. If any of you listening want to join us on the show to share your own story, please fill out the form below and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. I hope that you all stay safe and healthy and that you join me next time for another conversation in the headmaster's office. Take care.